Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, there is a big meeting this weekend of big oil-producing nations who are talking about doing some big things to their production levels. Will it actually happen? Will it matter? Is jawboning more important than actual output? This is Money Beat. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Now, financial food fight. Welcome to the rumble in the uh, concrete jungle... Is that, think, think that one works? Do you want to start this one over? Yeah, yeah, let's start this one over. Okay, you ready? Welcome to the Friday Food Fight. Uh, Paul Vina, Stephen Crozier here with you, as always, joined by Chuck Jaffe up in Beantown. Chuck, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me again. Oh, we, we couldn't do this without you, Chuck. We almost did do it, though, without you. You were running late, and uh, we were about to dump you. I just want you to know that. We love you, but uh, our love has a time limit. I understand. <laughs> and we have Nicole Friedman with us. Nicole, you've been here before. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me back. And, all right, Grocer, before we, we I just, I don't like to spend a lot of time talking about myself. Well, I do, but not, not on the, the show. But I got to talk a little bit, because I'm just a little bit excited that I killed it at the Tribeca Film Festival last night. Yeah, no, you did. I killed Huge it. Huge joke. Huge, huge. You, you left them wanting more. I left them wanting more. And I didn't even know it. So, so for the readers who are probably like, what are you guys talking about once again? Listeners. These are our listeners. That's true. Thank yes. you. He, uh, Paul used to do a little show called Markets Hub here. When we used to do the live were, news show. They were discussing um, Herbalife and right. what was your great line? I, I haven't Something seen about Carl Icahn. But anyhow, they, they used a clip from an, uh, a segment that Dave Benoit and I did about Herbalife and Bill Ackman in a documentary last night. That got a documentary about Bill Ackman that got its premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival, and, and, and it was when Icon was making his investment in right. Herbalife. And I made Paul a, asked our intrepid. Quip, I made a quip about Icon, yeah. and apparently it got a huge laugh. Asked our intrepid reporter. David How great Ryan. is that? Yeah. But you have even bigger news, Paul. I'm going Hollywood. He's the 38th going... most influential person in fintech. In fintech world, <laughs> the guy. Oh, who, this is the guy know, who has a flip phone. I wasn't going to bring that one up. And uses a flip phone. I do. I is the 38th I'm most using influential. It. I'm using it right now. In, in fact. As we speak, who's the number one? Mark Andreessen. I was going to say someone who's still clinging to their landline. Uh, right, and I would like to say that I did beat out uh, my colleague and co-writer, Mike Casey. And that's all that really. Matters. That's all that matters, Casey. I dogged you. Anyhow, uh, enough about me. Let's talk about oil producers, Nicole. That's why we have you on here, and it's a big just because weekend. we love you and want to have you on. Anyhow, but it's a big Thank weekend. You. Big weekend big for weekend. oil producing nations. The big meeting in Qatar. Where they are, we've been hearing for a long time. Weeks, weeks. They are going months, to discuss months. doing something, and I'm using the air quotes, that will uh, finally put a stop to the the slide in oil prices, which seems like actually it already stopped on its own, quite frankly. So w- w- give us a preview of the meeting. Yeah, so on Sunday, a group of OPEC members, but also a couple non-OPEC members, including most importantly Russia, Mm -hmm. which is a massive producer, are getting together to discuss freezing production. So the big surprise in 2014, as you might remember, we had a Thanksgiving OPEC meeting and they decided not to cut production. They weren't going to help boost the market and just give more market share away to higher cost producers in the U.S. and Brazil, so on. And so... They decided not to cut production in 2014, and then in 2015, they actually increased production. Saudi ramped up, Iraq ramped up, and so that was really what pushed the market over the edge. We've had a huge oversupply all through 2015 and continues today. 
And so finally in February, when prices fell to a U.S. prices fell to a 13 year low, suddenly some of these producers came out of the woodwork and said, OK, 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 we might be willing to freeze, which is not a cut. And so it's a very right. small step compared to, I think, what many bulls would prefer. But it's the first time they even mentioned freezing as opposed to continuing to increase production. And the fact that Russia and Saudi Arabia both agreed to go to this meeting was a really big boost to the market. People took that seriously and said, even if they just freeze, that's a really good sign. And this could lead to a cut down the road. Maybe they're going to freeze now, but that means maybe in the summer they'll be willing to actually cut. And since February, when we hit a 13-year low, about $26, prices are now up to about $40. And so that alone, these these producers have achieved a lot of what they've wanted. They got an almost 60% price boost just, just by talking about right. freezing production. And there's been a lot of job owning about the freezing production. A lot of job owning, but it's worked, right? Every time yeah. a new oil minister comes out and says, okay, we're going to go to this meeting, we're interested in freezing, everybody needs to do their part, prices rise. It's a very speculative market. It's a very short-term reactive market. And so producers that were making $26 a barrel a couple of months ago are now making $40 a barrel. That helps a lot. So then the question is, how much does Sunday actually matter? Have they already achieved their objective? And it you know, is is the market really waiting for more? Is this enough? And so there's the risk, certainly, that they could disappoint the market on Sunday. They don't reach a deal or they reach a deal that seems very weak. Iran is almost definitely not going to be included in a deal, which means that Iran's going to keep increasing its production. So that could offset any decline and anywhere Saudi Arabia else. has said that Russia and Iran need to agree to... Yeah, exactly. Right. Saudi well, Arabia has said Iran well, is participating. They need to stick with their agreement. The truth is... I don't actually see them doing anything as long as Iran stays out. I don't see the rest of them doing a whole lot because they're too determined not to say, okay, well, we'll do something and let Iran then wind up with, with extra. I, I don't think they're serious about it. Right. Exactly. And, and the... OPEC has a long history of cheating. Exactly. Right. These countries often agree to quotas and then don't stick to them. So what is, you know, what is the meaningful impact of any statement? Like likely not much. And everybody knows that in the energy sector. Right? Everybody Nicole? knows that. I mean, and it's so notorious. There's... Yes, yes, absolutely. But then the question is, you know, is just even getting together in a room, talking about a freeze, you know, putting themselves out there as willing to do something, is that just enough of a change in stance that could keep us just at 40? You know, maybe maybe just all the market wants is not to drop back below below 40, even back below 30. And at the same time, since February, we've seen a, a continued decline in U.S. production, and we're starting to see declines in other places around the world, in the North Sea, in Venezuela. And so that added together is also helping make the market less oversupplied. So OPEC has really just kind of like held held the market above $30 for the last couple of months just by talking. And maybe at this point, even if they disappoint the market, the fundamental supply and demand balance is better than it was a couple of months ago. And so we could still see prices stay around these levels uh, and not much, fall back. How much does the sort of broad stabilization of the sector and the, the everything the sector is going through because the price dropped, how, how far behind, I'm not going to phrase this elegantly, but what I'm, what I'm saying is the price has been moving and I think the price has been causing a whole lot of problems down the line. How far are they, is, is the sector behind the price? Because I know you had a couple of big bankruptcies this week. You know, I know that a, a lot of heavily debt-laden energy companies still have to work through those issues. Say the price stabilizes around 40. How much you know, do, does this sector still have to go through before they get back to some kind of equilibrium? 
Yeah, so 40 a lot of people say, is just not a sustainable price not. for the U.S. energy industry, that they can continue pumping at this level, but very few can invest in new production at this level. They really need 45 50 even higher for some companies. And a lot of these stocks, to be frank, are pricing in long-term about $60 a barrel. So are they a buy right now? Not necessarily. It really depends what your longer-term view of oil is. And so a lot of people say they're still overvalued even mm. though oil prices have rallied, because a lot of these companies are still assuming a continued rally in the next right. couple of years. Right. And like you said, I mean, it's up, what, 60% from the lows? I know I know, it's a volatile sector, but I mean, that's a big jump. How much it's more huge. can it go? Right. right. But, the, but the big question is, you know, come Monday, because I mean, you look around, you look at most people don't seem to expect much to come out of this. Does that rally fade? I it mean, definitely could. Yeah. And so the question is kind of what sort of statement do they put out? How much confidence does that give the market? But then also, if the rally fades, does it fade all the way back to $26? Or does it only fade to 35 which is certainly a disappointment to many producers, but 35 is better than 26 And in at these prices, every dollar matters. This, this feels like to me like very much, and we were saying this yesterday, like the Eurozone crisis, where everyone would get together, they'd have a meeting, you're hoping they'd come up with this great plan to fix the world or fix Europe. And then they just came up with a plan, and the markets would get a little bit of a – they'd get excited, read it, be disappointed, but realize they'd just kick the can down, you know, basically. Right. I'm just months. laughing because it, this feels a little bit like an, and fill-in-the-blank crisis. This I, I yeah. filled up my tank. I filled up my tank yesterday. This does not feel like a crisis to me at all. <laughs> it's true. These guys, these guys can kick this can down the road for a long damn time. That's right. just fine with me, and I suspect with the vast majority of folks in this country. Yeah, yeah not not not, not the people in New, in New York who are riding the subway and don't get to enjoy I mean, those. People don't care yeah, at all. No. Oh, but I mean, there is a bigger question. You know, right when you're filling up at the tank, the low the oil prices are great for you. However, you know, oil and stock markets have been so correlated this year, and for actually, you know, for a year now, that the and. Oil is a big part of a lot of the concerns that we're seeing crop up in the economy, like, you know, from deflation and everything else. That, like, that's the, one of the big concerns, I think. Hold that thought because we want to spin it out. We want to talk about that, but we have to take a break. So stay with us. We'll be back right after this message. Hi, this is Kevin Sintemong. This is Beth Cracklauer. Check us out on the Off-Duty Podcast. We talk about food, cocktails, all of the finer things in life. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. And become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the food fight. I'm, I'm pulling tomato out of my hair and throwing lettuce, and it is violent in here. Oh, it's not really that violent. He's lying. But, there know. is no food in here. I haven't eaten lunch. I'm very hungry. Nicole is very hungry. I was we're promised food. Yeah, we promised her food to get her out Well, there. no, no. We just told you it was the food fight. I, I'm not going to say we I find that misleading. Food. Yeah. Well, sorry. Next time. Next time we'll have food. Okay. Uh, hey, everyone, listen up. If you want more great WSJ podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. And why don't you follow us on Twitter? We are at WSJ Podcasts. You can follow my podcast, too. It's not on the WSJ Podcast list. Is, is, this, the, uh, is, is this the Minor League show. Lacrosse Broadcasters Podcast? No, no Paul. This no. is the podcast that you have been on as a guest, touting your book. Oh, that's an important <laughs> podcast. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chuck. Wow. That's important. Money Life Show. 
dot com or on on Stitcher and on everything else is Money Life with Chuck Jaffe. Thank you. There you go. Perfect. And it is, folks. It is good. I would highly recommend it. And not because I've been on it. Okay, Grocer, you started talking about uh, you know energy well, and the economy, and, and you were making a really good point. Like, like let's a lot get of the, back into a lot that. of the financial you know sort of volatility that we've seen this year really feels like it's tied to oil prices. Oil starts sliding, you see stock stocks start sliding, volatility go mm-hmm. up, um, and you know it also brings into you know, questions of inflation. Um, you know. The the oil boom, as you pointed out, in the U.S. was a big employer. It was a big driver of you know some of our growth. Was, and on was, the other hand, though, the fall. I mean, it was at the time when we did not have any real growth right. drivers. It was but, a growth driver. and we don't exactly have a lot of growth drivers right. now. Yeah. Right. But the other thing I would now say where GDP is. is like a lot of people are estimating that the benefits of the consumers and the, what they've you know saved at the pump mm-hmm. has already been. Filtered through the economy. I mean, like we're not eighty percent of that benefit already. Well, was, you in know, that. and I always thought that was an overstated argument because right. the, the the reality was that the benefit you got from saving money at the pump had been spent not 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 had been spent years before when you got yourself up to your neck in debt. I mean, there, I never thought that that was going to turn out to be but, as big as people thought because people were so far underwater to begin with. But my bigger point is is more about the stability of oil prices. Not that we necessarily need oil prices to soar back up, but like the stability we seems to be not. seems to be very important to yeah. the financial markets, and you know the Fed's paying attention to the financial markets too. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it, everything's getting interconnected well, we had, here around oil. You were live blogging bank earnings yeah. all week, right? I yeah. mean. How big was energy to those bankers? Like this was the our quarter that really felt like the the banks started, and we had Rachel um, Ensign on earlier right, in the week discussing yeah, yeah. like the, this you know issue that the banks actually started ami- owning up to you know having mm-hmm. um, you know some significant energy um, exposure to you know through loans to energy companies. Now that's not going to ruin any of the banks or anything, but it's you know something that investors and in bank shares certainly care about. Yeah, and I think you look at look at corporate profits, look at the energy sector, look at the financial sector, uh, look at what the data told you this week and what the predictions for GDP are. You can see the economy is not moving strongly. I, I know the jobs numbers look better, but they're the only thing that really that that really looks good. In my, this is my opinion. I, you guys might disagree. I do not see a gro- economy that is growing strongly. That is a problem because every central bank really wants to get out of the stimulus game, but they can't, and they're being dragged deeper into that quicksand. And I don't see. You, know, you talk about energy as a stimulus, you know, as a uh, an economic driver. I don't see. I still don't see the economic driver that is going to get the banks in a position where the central banks where they feel comfortable easing off the gas. No, but at some point they have to stop worrying so much about what it's right. going to do for the market. Understand that the market's going to have its natural ebbs and flows and allow themselves to reload the weapon. It's the only way they can do it. They've got no bullets left in the gun to fire, and and they won't have. You know, every every rate increase is trying to load a, a bullet, but it's not. It's not until the weapon is fully loaded, you don't have any. Right. Uh, but, I mean, Chuck, the Fed raised 25 basis points, and they talked about it for two years, and look what happened. Yes, and they were at least 18 months late in raising, and they're, you know, worrying about approval ratings and everything else. At some point, you got to say, hey, market cycles happen, and we can't avoid pain. It's like, sort of like parents going... I want to try to make sure that my kids 
don't wind up feeling any pain. So I'll try to do this. And then your kids go off and do whatever it is that caused, you know, you pain when you were younger and whatever. It's still going to happen here. And we're still going to, you know, corrections and all those other things haven't been outlawed. They're still go- going to occur. And at some point we have to allow them to occur. Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, as long as we're talking about, you know, we're not seeing strong economic growth, that may be the case, but we're also not seeing deceleration. I right now have no problems finding people who are worried about how horrible the market's going to be. On, on my show, we've interviewed guys like, you know, James Ricard, the new case for, for gold, and David Sharef from Break Up the Banks, who I know you've interviewed, Paul. Yeah, yeah. And, and Michael Ashton from, you know, What's Wrong with Money and what have you. And these guys are all calling gloom and doom. Well, let's just put it this way. If you're one of the folks who wants to believe that stuff, knock yourself out. But you better have a plan. You better have a plan B, because as much as there could be some sort of hell in a handcart that's coming, it's coming in a handcart. It's not coming in a semi truck. It's going to be here and not be here that long, whenever it gets here. And if you're wrong, you're going to miss out on some really good protracted, not fast growth times, but slow growth times for a protracted period. I think that was directed at you, Paul. I think it was directed at me. <laughs> you know, I, I would I would love for you to be right about that, Chuck. But still, I I see a lot of headwinds. I don't see a lot of tailwinds. I st- and I still you know the problem is we're just getting deeper and deeper into debt, waiting for the day when somebody either bravely says, "Hey, let's let the markets clear," or something comes along that's going to drag us out of this. And neither one has happened. We're seven years into this, you know, recovery. Air quotes, everyone. You can't see me using them, but I'm using them. Uh, and we're we're. So we're just going. We're just the same place we were, and I don't see. You know, whose position is getting better? Really? I mean, g- God bless you if you're one of the people in this world who are doing better year after year. How many of them are there? Well, the, and I'm not trying to sound like a populist running. I'm not trying to sound like a populist running for president. But you have for the last five years. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, but if you've been doing it for the last five years, for the last five years, a whole heck of a lot of people are doing better. No, it's true. I, I mean, mean, it's, yeah. it's un- from five years it's ago. Completely yes, completely true. Sure, you cannot argue that. Look, yes, everybody, I, you're everybody right. who trots out the statistics about how crappy the market has been since 2000 and the lost decade and everything else, all I'll tell you is this: you can make the charts look that way. All you have to do is not include dividends. Who do you know who's going? Hey, I'm doing so well. I'm not going to take my dividends. Everybody takes their dividends. So when you look at the market excluding dividends and you go, wow, it's not up as much as it could be, you're full of crap. Just look at total return numbers. The total return numbers have been good. People who have been investing long term have been paid off for it. They've been, crawl- they've been climbing the proverbial wall of worry. And thank God folks are out there who are worrying. They should be. But right now, what you've got is enough disagreement, and disagreement makes a market, and disagreement makes worry. You got enough disagreement out there that this market can go on for a long time in slow, steady, not so horrible growth with a lot of volatility thrown in. But the last couple of months proved that, hey, you can stomach a lot of volatility and come out on the other side as long as you're riding the whole time. Yeah. How many people have stocks that pay a dividend? A whole bunch. Yeah, and you know how many don't? Number, how many are chasing hot? Quoting. You know the hot stocks that don't have. Yeah, I mean, most people, most people are invested. And the numbers in, that they're quoting fund. also aren't adjusted for inflation. Let's not forget that the Dow and the S and P. We talk about these things all the time. Wait, 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 they're wait, nominal wait, wait. indexes. Paul, Chuck, the numbers that they're quoting are the S and P five hundred. So the S and P five hundred has plenty of stocks that have yeah. dividends in them. They're when they're talking yes, it about does. A flat market and. And if you're talking about a 3% dividend in a period where inflation was less than 1%, 
you're still intellectually that that's a way of saying hey we're going to negate the three percent for the one percent that's not a 50 50 trade that's not apples and apples yeah that's still let me take the pessimist side and blow it up over that's still so if, if i'm buying if i'm buying it uh, if i'm getting you know two to three percent real in the stock market because i have dividends and total return yeah uh why am i buying stocks why can't I find a good bond that'll pay me that and will let me sleep at night? Well, a if you're getting two if you're getting two and a half percent in the stock market, you're still doing something wrong. You're getting two percent on the yield side. Yeah, and the yield side and the yield side should be about what are you going to be? It is a, a risk premium above bonds. That's what you're paying, right? So why would you expect to get? Why would you expect to get a risk-free return? That's what your bond return is mm-hmm. for the the yield that you're getting on stocks. That would that would assume you're you're taking no risk premium on your dividends. You are taking a risk premium on your dividends. Yes. You should be getting somewhere around sixty percent. So if you're taking your example, if you're getting two and a half percent on dividends, then you should be getting one and a half percent on bonds. And that's kind of what you're getting. Yeah. So that market's not as abnormal as you seem to think it is. So you like the market. You no, like I'm not a, no, no, I'm no, no, agnostic. No. I'm agnostic to the market. Yeah. The problem is this. The last seventy five years up until about three years ago, you would have used the historical statistics, the Ibbotson-Sinkfeld study, if you want to get specific, where they <laughs> said stocks return 10% a year. Now, that's 10% exclusive of transaction costs, so it's actually a little bit lower than that. Right. Well, Roger Ibbotson, the guy who wrote it, said a few years ago that he expects the next 25 years to not deliver that return. He thinks it's going to be closer to 75 to 8%. Mm-hmm. And guys like Jack Bogle say, yeah, the historic has been nine and a half to ten, I think it's going to be six to seven and a half. Well, six to seven and a half, you can live on that pretty well. That's not a bad place to be investing. Well, if the market's so great, how come no one has any money in their 401ks? Well, that's a different... I know it's a different question, but I'm saying, like, you know, we have these... There's a whole lot of reasons Okay, you know what, actually... Because ultimately, people like you go on... We were going to talk about the economy. What? put their money in. Wait, wait, say that again. I'm sorry, what? People like you are shouting to enough people that folks who are out there getting the message aren't necessarily putting their money in. Uh, I don't know if, you know, I don't, I'd love you to think I'm that influential. You are the most powerful person in fintech. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, See, right. You're number 38. You are more powerful than the rest of us. And <laughs> you're, you're a published author. I uh, yeah. Well, listen. With a podcast. With a podcast. Uh, <laughs> this is good stuff. We could keep going, but we actually have to end it here. So... Chuck, I want to thank you. That was good. Hey, that this was, was a food this fight. Is, this was a food fight. Without this is a real food. without food. food. Sorry, Nicole. Next it's time cool. we'll have food fight. Next time what you do is you put your order in ahead of time, <laughs> and we'll we'll send you know one of our flunkies down to go get it, because we, we have flunkies. Obviously. You know. I'm, I'm, that, that, I'm one of them. That's me. That, no, that's me. I'm talking about me. And uh, we'll, we'll get you some food. And I will throw it at you. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Everyone, I want to thank you for listening. Hey, Monday, we are going to have Tribune Media CEO Peter Liguri here in the studio. We're going to talk about the new media landscape, television, the show Underground they have. It's going to be a very good podcast. Don't want to miss it. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you then.